Hey, would you join me for just a quick prayer, please, before I get into it this morning? Father God, I want to thank you this morning. Lord, I want two things. I want everybody in this place to be hungry. And as we pull back the curtain this morning, Father, and we take a glimpse, we take a peek into eternity, that it would stir our hearts. It'd stir our hearts on the choices we make. It would stir our hearts on our priorities. It would stir our hearts on how we live. And that the light of this truth would shine into our hearts and we would know who we are. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Dale Black is a 19-year-old young man who has the dream of being a pilot. Now, he has already earned his private pilot license, and he's friends with two men who are commercial pilots, and he has a desire to become a commercial pilot. So these two men befriend him, and they allow him to go with them on flights uh, to, to get hours, if you know anything about flying, to get hours. And so one afternoon, he climbs into a plane with these two men in a, a, a Piper Navajo twin engine. It's a small plane. And as they take off, they don't have enough power to get airborne. And so as they pull up, they begin to lose power. And the man flying pulls it to the left. And as he does, they hit a 75-foot-tall uh, stone edifice at the airport. It's real tall. And they hit it doing 130 miles an hour. Then after they hit it, uh, the plane and the wreckage collapsed to the ground. The two pilots are killed, and Dale Black is left alive. And I want to read you his story this morning. The last thing I remember was the sight of Chuck's hands on the controls, violently wrenching the flight controls fully left and fully back. Suddenly, I found myself suspended in midair, hovering over the wreckage of my body. My gray pants and short sleeve shirt were torn to shreds and soaked in blood. I sped through what appeared to be a narrow pathway. It wasn't a tunnel of light that I was traveling through. It was a path in the darkness that was delineated by light. Outside of the pathway was total darkness, but in the darkness, millions of tiny spheres of light zoomed past me as I traveled through what looked like deep space almost as if a jet were flying through a snowstorm. Uh, About a third of people who've had near-death experiences tell an experience of either being on a path or going through a tunnel. Uh, Albert Einstein, when he uh, came up with the theory of relativity, one of the things that he understood about that was our universe is so large that it's impossible for us to travel at normal speeds through the universe. So he came up with this theory called a wormhole. Now, a wormhole is not a hole where worms are. It's like a supernatural pathway that you could use to travel through time or to travel through space. And a third of people have experienced a near-death experience talk about traveling traveling through some type of hole or some type of tunnel or some type of pathway. Now, uh, and Albert Einstein called it a wormhole. I've got a picture of one right here. I looked this up on the internet, and uh, you can look up wormhole, and, and that's what it is. Now, let me just throw something out at you. In the Old Testament, when Elijah was taken to heaven, it says that a chariot of fire appeared, and that it was a chariot and horses, and they weren't actual horses in a chariot. It was made out of fire. And it says in the Scripture that a whirlwind took him to heaven. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if that whirlwind was a wormhole, that whirlwind was some type of tunnel that opened up in the natural dimension, and he climbed onto that chariot, and that chariot uh, with those horses went back through that tunnel into the spirit realm, into the next dimension. Let me continue to read. At that time, I became aware that I was not traveling alone. 
Accompanying me were two angel escorts dressed in seamless white garments woven with silver thread. They had no discernible gender, but they appeared masculine and they were larger than I was. Remarkably, my vision was enhanced and I could see both of their glowing faces at the same time. I could even see behind me with hardly even turning my head. I was fast approaching a magnificent city, golden and gleaming among a myriad of colors. The light I saw was the purest I've ever seen. Stop right there. The next thing he says is is that he had angels. When he steps into the spirit realm, he saw angels. 60% of people who've had near-death experiences say that when they leave their body that there are either people there that they know that they loved a lot of times there's angels that are there then they talk about how they knew the angels that when the person gets into the spirit realm they recognize it as their angel as their guardian angel now i've talked about this before but i want to really emphasize something to you no one dies alone no one dies alone We're always caught up on how people die, what happens to them physically when they pass away. And more often than not, people talk about when their spirits left their bodies, there were angels there. And I've believed that long before I read this. When a person's life, if they're in a car out on a highway by themselves and their life is lost in a car accident, immediately when they step into the spirit realm, there are angels there. There's something else I want to address. It says they were wearing white garments. Now, If you've ever been in the hospital and you've had to wear that little gown they give you, you guys, you know about that gown, right? And it doesn't have a back in it and you have to walk like this. Okay, anytime in the scripture I read about how we're going to have a white robe with no seams, sadly, that's what I used to think about, okay? And I would think, oh my gosh, you know, I, I, man, I want to I wear my jeans and my shirt, man. I don't want to go around some goofy robe barefooted and, 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 you know, I'm just kind of self-conscious. All right. Uh, the people who went to heaven talked about how it's almost a garment and it's literally made out of light, okay? It's not actually fabric or cloth like we think. It's a garment woven out of light. Now, if you think about in the Garden of Eden, it says that before Adam and Eve sinned, they were naked, okay? And it wasn't like naked and afraid, okay? All right, it wasn't like that, okay? They weren't going around in the garden with no clothes on trying to get stickers out of their feet, okay? For one thing, there weren't stickers because there wasn't a curse. But if you will, they were clothed in the glory of God, okay? And so that's what these angels are. It says that they're clothed with garments of light. Listen to the next thing. And music was playing. It was the most majestic, enchanting, glorious music I've ever heard. Now stop. Think about... Now, now you may not be a music lover, okay, but all of us at one time or another in our lives are exposed to music, okay? Uh, Think about how if you're a music lover and you love music and you love listening to music. When I was a kid, man, we grew up and we got a stereo for Christmas, you know, and we'd go to Kmart and buy the 45s and we were listening to Led Zeppelin, we were listening to Grand Funk, we we loved music, we played music in our car. And when my dad would drive in the car, of course, we didn't get to play with the radio because dad was in the car. But when mom was in the car, man, we had control of the radio. And I grew up in Amarillo. And so, man, we would listen to top, 40 radio in the car with my mom. Now, here's what's interesting to think about music. What did we do this morning? We played music and we worshiped God to music. All right, why is it that you care about music? Because where you're from cares about music. All right, let me continue to read. I was still approaching a city. But now I was slowing down like a plane making its final approach for landing. I knew instantly this place was entirely 
and utterly holy. Don't ask me how I knew. I just knew. I was overwhelmed by its beauty. It was breathtaking. And a strong sense of belonging filled my heart. I said that last week, and let me remind you of it. That's what this person says. Dale says that had this experience. When I got to heaven, I knew I was home. I said it last week. When you get to heaven, when you have loved ones that are there, listen, they're home. One of the common themes was, I don't want to go back. I don't want to come back here. I want to stay here forever, that longing. The next thing it says is it was majestically beautiful. Think about places that you love to go, places that are beautiful, all right, the mountains, streams, rivers, wherever it is that you like to go. Let me continue to read. I never wanted to leave. I knew I was made for this place, and this place was made for me. The entire city was bathed in light as whiteness in which the light was intense but diffused. In that dazzling light, every color imaginable seemed to exist. And what's the right word? Played. The colors seem to be alive, dancing in the air. I've never seen anything like it. <clears throat> it was breathtaking taking to watch. I could have spent forever doing just that. Now, let me stop right there, and I want to correct something that I've said many times, and I've heard others say many times. I said, I've said it probably in the last few weeks. I said it last week, I think. You know, heaven's not going to be an eternal church service, and, and I believe that, that it's not going to be. We're not going to go to church forever, but... Every person that has a near-death experience says when they were in the presence of Jesus, they didn't want to leave, they didn't want to be anywhere else, they didn't want to do anything else. So uh, heaven's not going to be boring, okay? It's not going to be like, well, hey, is there, man, what time is it? Uh, are we moving on to the next thing? The people who are with Jesus had these experiences where they didn't want to leave. <clears throat> the closer I got to the city, the more distinct the illumination became. The magnificent light I was experiencing emanated from about 40 or 50 miles within the city wall from a focal point that was brighter than the sun. Oddly, it didn't make me squint to look at it, and all I wanted to do was look at it. The light was palpable. It had substance to it. It had weight and thickness. It's like nothing I've ever seen before or since. It was like the light from a hydrogen bomb is the closest thing I can use to describe it. I want to read to you this morning uh, out of Matthew 17, and it's the story of the transfiguration, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and he led them to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shined like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. Yeah, I bet. If you want, I'll make three shelters. Let's put up three tents. They've lost their minds, right? I mean, they're just, their brains are not even working. Hey, why don't we put up a tent and make some coffee and we'll hang out? Okay. If you want, we'll make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, here's what I want you to see. Everybody that experiences Jesus, they get close to Jesus, they say it's like looking into the sun, but they can look without squinting, and it doesn't hurt their eyes. And the light is so bright that the people that have these experiences, it says that they get close to it, then they almost step into it, and then there's a person. 
And of course, that person is the Jewish Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. They go to the top of the mountain, and Jesus allows the disciples to see his glory. And it says the very same thing these people say. It was like looking at the sun. He becomes bright and white as light, and he's wearing a robe, if you will, that's made out of light. And here's something else that's interesting. Moses and Elijah show up, and the disciples know who they are. They've never seen them. They've never met them. They never saw a picture of them. They didn't have a picture of them on their phone. They didn't have a picture of them on their iPad, correct? Those men had been dead for hundreds of years. Now, let me say this to you. It's very powerful and very important. One of the biggest questions about heaven is this. Will everybody, will I know who I am? All right. Moses and Elijah were who they were. They had fingers. They had toes. They were who they were on the earth. Jesus said, I'm the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And he says, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, they're alive. Moses and Elijah meet with Jesus on this mountain and they appear. Now, here's what's interesting. I believe that there are a couple of generals in the kingdom of God. And you see, Jesus is uh, commanding an invasion into the earth. He's getting ready to die on the cross. And they're meeting with him on this mountain. I don't know what they talked about. But what they talked about, I can guarantee you, had to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then the disciples say, oh, hey, Mo, what's going on? Hey, Elijah, what's happening, dude? They knew who they were, and they'd never seen them. And they were themselves. They were fully aware. They knew where they were. Let me throw something out at you that's very interesting. Elijah went up in the chariot of fire, remember, in the whirlwind, uh, in what was like a wormhole. And he had a resurrected body. He didn't die. All right, he had a resurrected body. But Moses died. Moses was buried by God in the valley of Moab. All right, Moses does not go into the promised land, remember, because he strikes the rock and he gets mad. And so God doesn't let him go in. And it says in the Old Testament that God buried Moses with his own hands. All right, Moses' body was in the ground in Moab, so he does not have a resurrected body. Are you following me? Okay, but Elijah went to heaven with his body, and he has a resurrected body. All right, my mother and father are in heaven right now, and they do not have a resurrected body. Now, they're not a ghost, okay, but they do not have a physical body. But they are themselves. They look like themselves. They're in their prime. They have strength. They have energy. They have vitality. But they will not get a resurrected body until resurrection morning, which is when Jesus comes for the church. But there are people in heaven that have resurrected bodies. Elijah has one. Another is Enoch. Enoch was in the Old Testament, and it said that he walked with God, and he got closer to heaven than he did from his house. And God said, hey, instead of you just going home, why don't you come home with me? It says in the Bible that he was no more. Okay, He went home with God with his body. So Jesus has a resurrected body, right? Didn't he eat fish with the disciples? He also walked through a wall, by the way. Elijah has a resurrected body. Enoch has a resurrected body. But the vast majority of everybody else doesn't have a body yet. Are you with me? Okay, let me continue to read. Oddly, it didn't make me squint to look at it. All I wanted to do was look at it. The light was palpable. It had substance. It had weight. It was like a hydrogen bomb. Somehow I knew that light and that life and that love were connected and interrelated. Remarkably, the light didn't shine on things. It shone through them. 
through the grass, through the trees, through the wall, and through the people who were gathered there. There was a huge gathering of angels and people, millions, countless millions. They were gathered in a central area that seemed over 10 miles in diameter. The expanse of people was closer to an ocean than a concert hall. Waves of people moving in light, swaying to the music and worshiping God. Somehow the music in heaven is calibrated, and I felt it as I stood there. Let me read to you out of Revelations 4, 6. He's describing what happens right here. In the front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, and each covered their eyes, their front, and their back. Now, this is talking about angels. Now, he describes what the Scripture says. It's, here's what's interesting. The Scripture says there's so many people that it looked like a sea. Okay, but it's not water, it's people. And he sees millions of people, and he says it's like waves going across the crowd, right? You ever been to a football game and done the wave, right? Okay, we all do the wave, okay? All right, I'm not saying they're doing the football wave, but it's like ripples across the crowd as people are doing what? Well, in the center is the throne of God, and they're worshiping. They're worshiping God. He describes exactly what's in the Scripture. Now, listen to me, and I said this last week, and I want to remind you. These stories give color commentary to the Word of God. Listen, I don't believe anything that doesn't line up with the Bible. I don't care what kind of experiences you've had. I don't care what you've seen. Okay? You know, a spaceship could land out in the yard right now and little green men get out of it and say, we've traveled all over the universe and there's no God. And you know what I would say? Devil, I see you. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Wouldn't that change your theology? Nope, because I believe what the Word of God says. So again, it's very important that we don't just take experiences, but we trust the Word of God. Let me continue to read. I was outside the city, slowly moving toward the walls, suspended a few hundred feet above the ground. I'm not sure how I knew direction there, but I had a strong magnetic sense that it was northeast. The Bible says in the Old Testament that heaven is in the north. So he's northeast which meant I was approaching the city from the southeast. That sounds like a pilot talking, doesn't it? A narrow road led to an entrance in the wall, which led into the city. I moved effortlessly along the road, escorted by two angelic beings on what seemed a schedule. Below me, and I love this, below me was the purest, most perfect grass I'd ever seen. Precisely the right length, not a blade was bent or out of place. It was the most vibrant green I've ever seen. If a color can be said to be alive, the green I saw was alive. It was translucent. It emitted light and life from within each blade. The grass stretched endlessly over gently rolling hills, upon which were sprinkled colorful wildflowers, lifting their petal beauty skyward, almost as if there was a chorus of flowers caught up in their own way, praising God. Stop right there. Listen, folks, there's nothing we dislike more than brown grass. Amen. Right? You know how when it rains here and the hills are green and it's like, oh, man, it looks beautiful. Doesn't that encourage your heart? Heaven is filled with grass. Heaven is filled with rolling hills and trees and flowers. All right, fly, we love flowers, right? You love planting them. You love growing them. You cry when they don't grow and they don't do right, right? All right, let me continue to read. 
The fragrance that permeated heaven was so gentle and sweet, I didn't notice it amid everything I was to hear and see. But as I looked at the delicate, perfect flowers and grass, I wanted to smell them. Instantly, I was aware of a gentle aroma. As I focused, I could tell the difference between the grass and the flowers, the trees and the air. It was all so pure and intoxicating and blended together in a sweet, satisfying sense. In the distance stood a range of mountains, majestic in appearance, as if they reigned over the entire landscape. These were not mountains you wanted to conquer. They were mountains you wanted to revere. The road was only wide enough for two people and followed the contour of the hills. Then it began sloping upward toward the huge wall that encircled the city. Next, I heard the faint sound of water rushing in the distance. I couldn't see the water, but it sounded as if it were rivers cascading over a series of small waterfalls, creating music almost that was ever-changing. Between the central part of the city and the city walls were groupings of brightly colored, picture-perfect homes in small, quaint towns. Now, that's a a breath of fresh air over my wife's heart. Vicky loves houses. Listen to it again. They were brightly colored, picture-perfect homes in small, quaint towns. Each home was customized and unique from the others, yet they blended harmoniously. Some were three or four stories. Some were even higher. There were no two the same. If music could become homes, it would be like these. They were beautifully built. They were perfectly balanced. The city wall stretched out to my left and right as far as I could see in both directions. Let me read to you in John 14, 1. Jesus is speaking. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. The King James uses the word mansion. Okay, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions, houses, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, people who don't believe the Bible say, well, that's not what God really meant. There's really not houses, and we're really not going to live in a house. And that's not what it says, right? It says, in my Father's kingdom are houses, and you're going to have a house, and it's going to be the house of your dreams, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be everything you hoped it would be. I love what he says. It says they're colorful, and they were perfect. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I'm ready, I'm going to come get you, and you're going to be with me where I am forever. Now, let that just settle into your heart. You and I are going to live and exist forever. You are an eternal being, and you serve an eternal God, and he has a place waiting for you. Let me continue to read. A powerful light permeated the wall, and you could see all the colors of the rainbow in it. Strangely, whenever I moved, the colors moved with me. My eyes were next drawn to a river, and Rusty was swimming in it. 
and it stretched forth from the gathering area in the middle of the city wall. It flowed toward the wall and seemed to end there, at least from my vantage point. I love this. The river was clear and bluish. The light didn't shine on the river, but mysteriously shone within it somehow. Let me read to you out of Revelations 22, starting with verse 1. The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street, and on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they'll see Him face to face. He describes water. The flowers in heaven fascinated me. Again, a delightful and delicate balance between diversity and unity. Each was unique. All were one, and they were beautiful to behold. Each petal was illuminated with glorious light and added the right splash of color to the velvety green grass. As I described previously, the grass, the sky, the walls, the houses, everything was more beautiful than I ever dreamed anything could be. And they lived happily ever after. Even the colors, they were richer, deeper, more luminescent than any colors I've ever seen in the farthest reaches of earth or even in my dreams. They were so vibrant, they pulsated with life. I'm going to read to you out of Ecclesiastes 3.11. And I have a statement we're going to put up on the screen. All your longings point toward heaven. All your longings point toward heaven. Your craving for beauty, for color, for love, for unity, for mountains, for rivers, for fellowship, all that that stuff's not the right word, but all those longings that are stirring in you. Listen, I have them. If you don't have them, it's because you've killed them. Okay, if you say, if you're sitting here this morning and you think, Pastor, I don't have any of those longings, well, then you've stuffed them down. You've pushed them away because you've been hurt and you won't allow yourself to have those feelings anymore. But you see, I've walked out of that and I had that. I've been there. I've lived in that. But Jesus has brought me to a place now where I have those longings and, you know, those desires for beauty and for love. And, you know, we go to the mountains on men's retreat. Why do we go to the mountains? Because we're drawn there. Why? Because that's the kingdom. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. You too said in one of their songs, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now I can tell you why you haven't, because you're not there yet. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that eternity has been written on your heart. This temporary life is the fuzzy, less than real shadow of the brilliant, beautiful, solid life of eternity. Let me read it to you one more time. This temporary life is the fuzzy, less than real shadow of the brilliant, beautiful, solid life of eternity. One of my mother's favorite verses was, this life is a vapor. If you're 18, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. If you're 60, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? 
I mean, Vicki and I got married. We spent our first night together, and she's 22, and I turned over and looked at her, and she's 62. I don't know what happened. I, I was, we were talking about it. Honey, you were 22, and I turned around twice and looked at you, and you were 62. Life is passing by. Why? Because we were made for eternity. This temporary life is the fuzzy, less than real shadow of the brilliant, beautiful, solid life of eternity. Hebrews 8, 5. <clears throat> Hebrews 8, 5, the very first sentence says, God told Moses, they serve in a system of worship that's only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. I don't want to read the whole thing. I just want you to see that one phrase. Okay, God told Moses, this life is a shadow. C.S. Lewis called it the Shadowlands. Okay, see, we think this life is, and, and it is good. I'm not saying it's not good, but it's a shadow of the life to come. It's a temporary copy of the life to come. Here's what happens to us sadly. We think this is it. You see, you think this life is as good as it gets, and so you just settle in like a hog in a mud hole, right? And you're happy to build your house over the cesspool. You're perfectly content to do it because we just get settled in and we get blinded and we get nose blind. You know what nose blind is, right? It stinks so long you don't smell it anymore, right? All right, eternity is written on our hearts. I want to read to you out of Isaiah 65, 17. Listen to what God says to us. He says, look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. Now, that does not mean that this earth will be done away with and heaven will be done away with. That's not what it means. It means that all things will be made new. All things will be restored. That's what it means, okay? He says, look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation, and look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness, her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Amen. Part of the joy I experienced, this is another near-death experience. Part of the joy I experienced was not only the presence of everything wonderful, but the absence of everything terrible. There was no strife, no competition, no sarcasm, no betrayal, no deception, no lies, no murder, no unfaithfulness, no disloyalty, nothing contrary to light and life and love. The absence of sin was something you could feel. There was no shame because there was nothing to be ashamed of. There was no sadness because there was nothing to be sad about. There was nothing to hide because there was nothing to hide from. It was all out in the open. Captain Dale Black described it as the best unity I've ever felt on earth does not compare with the exhilarating oneness that I experienced with my family in heaven. This love, God's love, was transforming to experience something so sacred, so profound as the boundless love of God was the most thrilling part of heaven. Now, you can get on YouTube and you can uh, put in Dale Black's name and it will pull up videos 
and he's in his 60s now, and he had this experience when he was 19, and it has profoundly impacted his life, and you can get on and listen to him. Also, John Burke, who's the author of the book, you can also get on YouTube and look his name up, and there's te- he talks, and there's testimonies. The interesting thing about Dale Black is, is he can't tell the story without crying, and it happened 50 years ago. Let me read you one last thing, and we're going to close. Jeff Olson said this about heaven. I danced. I ran, I felt so joyful. I marveled at the indescribable beauty around me. It was vast and open and beautiful. I could feel, touch, and taste everything as if I had not had five senses but 50. It was amazing. Now, I know when people do this, they mean nothing wrong by it. But one of the things that's one of my pet peeves is when people, when somebody dies and they say, rest in peace. Okay, uh, listen to it one more time. I danced, I ran, I was full of joy, I marveled at the beauty. Doesn't sound like they're resting much, does it? No, they're not resting. They're not resting. And I don't mean anything by that when somebody says that. That, That's just a cliche, if you will. Uh, Folks, there's good days ahead. There's good times ahead. Amen? Amen. It's, we have a heaven and a home, and Jesus is going to be there. And if, listen to me. I want to say one thing, and we're going to stop. If you've got somebody that's died, this is what they're experiencing right now this morning. If you've had a loved one you've lost, a mother, a father, a grandparent, a spouse, a friend, a schoolmate, one guy tells a story about how he had a schoolmate who was killed in an accident in high school, and he was tormented all of his life by it. And when he had a near-death experience, he said this young man was at the gate to greet him, and he was more alive, more vibrant, more full of life. And he thought about how he'd wasted his life being tormented by that when the young man was fine. Listen, your loved ones are fine. They're more than fine. They're better than you and me. Mom and dad are doing good. Me, Mom, and Papa are doing good. They're, not, they're doing better than good. Amen? Amen. Y'all stand up and let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I love you this morning. I thank you for the glimpse of eternity, the glimpse of heaven, the glimpse. Father, your word says, I has not seen nor ear heard what you have in store for us because we love you. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, would you let the truths of these stories and these scriptures stir in our hearts this week and that we would be continually reminded that we do have a home and that you're there. I'm thankful for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Y'all gonna be blessed. Y'all have a great rest of your weekend.